This is John Stepling, and this is Aesthetic Resistance, podcast number 44. Uh, with me in Toronto, Corey Morningstar. Hi, Corey. Morning, John. Uh, in New York, Hiroyuki Hamada. Hi, Hiroyuki. Hey, John. Uh, in New Delhi, in very hot New Delhi, Varun Mater. Hi, Varun. Hey, man. How's it going? And in, uh, in less hot... Uh, Northern Sweden, uh, Johan Edebo. Hello, Johan. Hey, everybody. Um, there's there's a number of things uh, worth talking about. I think it's been 17 days since since we did a podcast. Been a very hectic time for me personally, but um, it doesn't seem that long ago. Anyway, uh, on a day of massive protests in France mm. against the vaccine passport, massive protests. Uh, it was interesting. I noted that the BBC had not a single mention of the protests. Mm. I mean, Google France protests 2021 on the BBC site and you get nothing. Um, that's pretty extraordinary. I don't know what the U.S. media is doing with it, but um, I suspect not much. Uh, anyway, that's that's one story. And uh, I know. Johan and I had talked about several things um, to do with with sort of the eroticization of biopolitics, and and maybe we can begin there. Um, but but there's a lot of stuff to um, to cover. So Johan, um, why don't you start? Mm. Yeah, I, I have this uh, this short piece on on medicalization, power, sex, death, and COVID, basically. So. Uh, I, I can begin there. It's it's like five minutes, so but feel free to interrupt me if you feel it gets too long winded and so on. <laughs> uh, I, I will connect to the the climate uh, apocalypse apocalypse narrative at the end. So so maybe we can you, you can connect to that if you'd like. So I think it began when I saw this uh, this new ar news article on on the medical science site. Uh, about a study according to which a COVID infection apparently gives you erectile dysfunction. So us guys should uh, really get vaccinated, you know, or, or this evil magic might castrate us. It brought to mind these uh, magical penis theft curses and all that. So, so in some relation to this um, strategic propagandistic use of the castration anxiety, I, I was forced to, to, to reevaluate re uh, Sigmund Freud a bit. And I've been thinking uh, some, some about uh, Michel Foucault's concept of uh, biopower and the eroticization of the submission as a kind of partial explanation for all this uh, irrational acquiescence we see around us. Uh, and nobody knows what biopower means. So, so it's a both very overused and, and misunderstood concept, but as a model of analysis, it has such an obvious relevance for the COVID situation that I'm kind of amazed that all the people who normally toss it around all the time haven't been all over the COVID narrative since it's like this perfect example of the devious use of uh, what Foucault means with biopower. And biopower for, for him to define it, it, it refers to this next level form of forcible governance in contrast to which you, you have these old types, discipline and punishment and security and surveillance. These are two, not four categories then. And with discipline and punishment, the state basically tried to secure order using violence within its sovereign boundaries. 
security and surveillance then refers to how you control the individual's behavior and you force certain predictable outcomes in a population. Its focus is to control bodies and it's basically why everyone on the left uses bodies as shorthand for persons. So biopower, it, it evolves from these kinds of things and, and it's a development of the security state which integrates these older kinds of violent governance yet represents a new form of violence which kind of directly constitutes and delineates the very life, the physical life of a people in a much more intimate sense than anything we've ever had previously. And he uses classical fascism as a prime example of, of, uh, of biopower because the biological life of the people was here constituted as the overarching supreme value. So there's nothing but physical existence and the flourishing of physical existence is the ultimate value of society. And this is then also, also arguably reflected in how the modern capitalist West promotes bodily health and intrusive medicalization of everything and kind of constructs this kind of desacralized biological existence as the end all of everything, and then sanitizes death and removes it from view because the very idea of death threats physical flourishing as the ultimate value. So biopower, you could say, relates both to, to secularization and the entrenchment of these utilitarian capitalist values. And to bring in Freud into the mix, then the problem is that bare biological life, it's in itself kind of meaningless. It's like the, the living body of a brain dead individual with no actual subject present anymore. So when you, you promote this uh, reduction of value to life, bare biological life itself, that you in a way expel meaning or at least the perception of meaning from society. Worries about health and survival trump all others because life has become the highest value as such. So there's not room for anything sublime anymore. There can be no martyrs, no saints, but also no real evil because nothing is worth dying for except survival itself. Somebody stated it. And so one obvious way to address this lack of meaning is to reintroduce the specter of death as a constantly looming threat, which is also kind of supercharged by the fact that death is already alien and sanitized for people in general. So death is this extremely otherized thing. It's the tangible negation of the highest societal value. And this is also exacerbated by the fact that we have lost the traditional means of coping with death, especially those from within religion. So we have kind of abolished death uh, or are at least kind of enticed by, by such an outcome by the utopian promises of technology and progress, but we are also constantly threatened by the return of death implicitly or, or explicitly. That. And the Freudian take upon all this and I know I had some mean things to say about Sigmund Freud and psychoanalysis during the week, John, but, but I think there's an important argument to be made here. The Freudian take is that with the reintroduction of death, you will recreate desire and refocus it towards biological life and the biopower which sustains and shapes biological life, if for no other reason than this innate fear we have of death and the constructed conflict between death and the highest societal value. So, so where life is devoid of, of the sublime of transcendent meaning and death is both uh, hidden from view and sanitized, when you reintroduce death, you eroticize life as such and the implicit threat of death will then almost automatically expand and reinforce the goals of biopower. Uh, and that is of the political tools and processes governing and circumscribing life reduced to material existence. 
And here is my point in relation to COVID then. So if, if you look at the, the fawning vaccination reports and, and selfies, it's kind of obvious to me that there's a sexual aspect to all this. There's a libidinous aspect to the feeling of relief and comfort after first being kind of restricted, bound and gagged, and then being injected with this, this penetration of your supremely powerful benefactor. It's, it's kind of, it's so Freudian, it's almost a parody of the entire perspective, I think. <laughs> and I, I think there's something here that might help explain why a lot of otherwise rational people don't really seem to care about the risks with this, this untested experimental treatment because kind of if you add danger into the mix it adds to the sexual charge and excitement of the situation i'm almost finished but uh, it's been also argued that uh, the airport security check is one of the most eroticized environments in the modern context precisely because you here have this intersection of the awesome power of the corporate state and an implicitly sexualized submission you know, you have to strip naked almost in front of this indomitable power and completely submit before being intimately caressed by its anonymous representatives. And all of this is for the reason that you and any other passenger may carry death with you about to board the flight. <laughs> See, I think you can make a similar argument that vaccinations at a deeper level are, are like much more erotically charged than our common domesticated intercourse are commercialized and utilitarian pornography and all that dating market stuff because those things are just tedium with no real edge when you compare it to, to death and the display of the indomitable power of the corporate state. <clears throat> you know that yeah. it, it it no it's great and and um that's great. Uh, um it it <clears throat> I wrote I remember a long time ago it was 5 6 7 years ago about um, airport security and mm -hmm. and because there's a class element that runs through that particular erotic equation the the eroticization of of um, of going through this stripping being x-rayed and, and you and it but it's all the hands of these minimum wage workers you know I mean you, they hire literally anybody to work um, airport security I think you don't even need a high school diploma um and so so that 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 cuts across the covid story too of course somebody posted this last week i think this guy zuby who's a who's a rapper but he's very sharp um <clears throat> said that that uh it seemed to him that that the, the people were in equal measures um both afraid of of the the virus of getting sick of death but in equal measure we're also afraid of social disapproval and then he added as a footnote that um he's coming to think the social disapproval actually um is is even more influential and and i suspect he might be right um because i see that i see that in norway certainly People may be skeptical, um, like the nurses at the hospital where I was today, um, not because I'm sick, uh, uh, who, were, who were very skeptical, but, but almost nobody wants to speak out um, or say any of this stuff aloud. Um, it's just partly Norwegian culture, but it's also um, People fear for their jobs, for getting uh, associated with with you know bad behavior and conspiracy theorists and dissidents and whatever. 
um, which in Norway um, is is very much a black mark on on your um, <clears throat> your job history. So um, I don't know. It's it's it, it, the the protests today in France suggest. Um, we've talked about this before, like what percentage of people um, are skeptical and we, what percentage are not. Um, the protests in France suggest nearly everybody is skeptical. I mean, this is a government toppling um, level of protest magnitude that is, um, I'm not sure what Macron does with because it's in literally every city. Um, and it may have just been you know, a, a French state uh, miscalculation uh, to, to introduce the, the vaccine passport idea when they did or in the way they did, I'm not sure. But uh, the people who have been saying all along that, that skepticism is very high and people don't buy the, the master narrative on COVID um, perhaps are right. I read C.J. Hopkins today who was saying, you know, tw there's 20% who are skeptical dissidents like himself and the rest of us. And I think that's a really low ball figure, actually. I think it's it's probably um, considerably higher. I don't know what degree, though. Anyway, Corey, yeah. Uh, I think the fear, um, like the stats, um, the sound bites of fear from the media and that are all sort of used as an alibi to justify um, like the social pressure and the political posturing of people. Because um, like I think of that, the people are scared and that the media is um, pumping fear into people um, and they are afraid, right? To lose their jobs and that type of thing. But I'm not really um, convinced that they're afraid of dying per se when, you know, when, as soon as they want to do something that they want to do, like go to Costco or whatever it is, all the rules go out the window, right. Or, or whatever. Right. So yeah, there's a lot, there's sort of like um, a war against oneself trying to navigate that. Yeah. Um, um, I think that's probably right. I, I, I think, I think you can look at this from the perspective of class, gender, all kinds of different ways, race. Um, it's like a fear, uh, a fear of non-compliance. You know, yeah, well, certainly. I mean, I, I have noticed that the women and this is Norway, the women I know are are terrified of social disapproval because it affects their jobs. And because this is even though equality, gender equality is is quite high in Scandinavia. Uh, it is still a patriarchy and and men are more powerful ultimately. And um, for men, the fear, I think, is is mediated by the whole Oedipal architecture somehow in ways that is, um, that are very complicated. And and that war with themselves, um, they're terrified of 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 institutional disapproval perhaps more than than direct peer disapproval i don't know um but but uh it has certainly what the narrative illustrates overall if we look at the whole covid narrative i think one of the things it illustrates is um the way people have become um you know, disenfranchised from community and and sense of of um, 
community purpose, social purpose, things are reduced to, to um, abstractions. And, and part of this is the internet and, and uh, you know, social media and all of that to a large degree. But it's also, I think, the loss of education and just a, a, a general cognitive decline. Um, Johan, yeah. Yeah, I just thought about an argument in, in Hopkins' essay, which you mentioned. And his point, I think, one of his points were that that uh, uh, some kind of violent response is, is perhaps welcomed by the, the governing authorities because it would facilitate a more an anchoring of the social disapproval of the dissidents. And, and that is something we probably need to discuss and be kind of careful about. Because yeah, yeah, I, I want to talk about that. But Hiroyuki, well, it, it, it's really uh, uh, I'm going to bring up the uh, the correlation between the, this and 9/11 again, and um, um, the uh, I, I mean, a lot of people think that uh, what what we've, we've been told uh, is not exactly what happened. Um, the skepticism is, um, you know, it's. Uh, a lot of people are skeptics about the uh, uh, what's what's going on, what happened, and uh, but the tricky thing is that that uh, the more uh, contradictory uh, th that is, uh, we get uh, extra amount of fear, extra amount of uh, skepticism, and that feeds to the idea that certain people are conspiracy theorists and. It also uh, increased the fear of the authority because you know you have to conclude that if there's something wrong with what happened, uh, who did what? Maybe the government is not what it's uh, you know um, claim it to be, uh, and that leads to this fear: fear of institutions, fear of. Yeah. Um, you know uh, what, what we've been talking about. So it's uh, yeah, yeah um, uh, no, it is. And Corey, I'm going to call you first, and then I have I have a thought. But well, Corey, just adding on to what Hiroyuki said, I mean, we have to be skeptical. It's um, framed as though, yeah, if you're, you know, you don't want to be um, pointed at as a conspiracy theorist. But we, I mean, the truth is the fact that we live in a global system that serves capital, not people, right? We live in a global capitalist system that serves the ruling class corporate power at the expense of the, of the working class and the middle class. And so why would we not be, you know, questioning? Um, so, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. I mean, so the, uh, I think the, the major bulk of the problem is that the uh, people are having huge uh, cognitive dissonance moment. And that's the struggle uh, we are seeing, I think. And it's nothing to do with health, of course, you know. Um, no, no, it's not to do with health for sure. Um, there was a there was a story, um, and Corey, you can, because I remember you posted it when we were, we were chatting, uh, that uh, the World Economic Forum and the UN were passing this initiative Um well, it was sort of ghostwritten by the World Economic Forum. Do you remember that? It was... No, what's it about? 
Okay, we'll come back. Oh, to that you mean you mean that new declaration they're working on? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I haven't. Um, Johan actually downloaded that for me or accessed it for me. I haven't had a chance to read it thoroughly. It looks like just a document to leverage the um, quote unquote pandemic to um, basically, you know, increase power and control over the population and tie it into climate change. Um, so everything will be done under the guise of environmental protection and um, protection from, you know, zoonotic diseases, that type of thing. Um, right. And of course, the United Nations now, the World Economic Forum, that, which partnered with the UN in June of 2019, is at the helm of the Sustainable Development Goals, which is actually emerging markets. Um, so again, like what Hiroyuki already said, and what we already know, it, this is not about health. It all ties into markets emerging uh, markets, capitalism, um, saving the global economic um, financial system from collapse. Right. Uh, Hiroyuki? Yeah. Oh, I was, uh, yeah, I agree. I totally agree. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I guess, more of a hand yet. <laughs> yeah, you're raising your blue hands. I get so confused. Um, Johan. I don't have a blue hand. Yeah, I just wanted to wonder, ask you, Varun, in which direction the farmers' protests are currently going? Because I've heard there, there are these huge riots in South Africa, which we hear almost nothing about in the media. Um, right now, they've just made a call that some, I think, 200 farmers are going to march to the parliament every week. <clears throat> from outside the borders. Um, there was also news of one of the leaders who presented the idea of starting a political party, which was not very welcome. A lot of the farmers have gone back home because of farming season and also it's hot. So um, I presume uh, they've just made some announcements that uh, a lot of people are starting to again come back now. So that keeps happening. Um, the last time we were there last week and basically the stage is still on, the, the speeches are still happening, there are still people, like it's just, yeah, it's still there and I don't think they're going to move, they're not going to go anywhere. But I think the, the thing that's changed um, is that they are now um, wanting to present themselves in the city at the parliament, which is a pretty bold move, I think. I'm not sure how that's going to go. I think that's on the 22nd that they're planning to do that. Interesting. Um, uh, you know, the, the, there's so many kind of <clears throat> these secondary, secondary threads um, associated with the whole, the whole COVID story. I mean, uh, uh, New England Journal of Medicine, I think it was, um, published a study on the, the effect of vaccines on pregnant women. Mm. Uh, and there was an 82% miscarriage rate. That's extraordinary. It's extraordinary, right? Um, but, it's, but it's not a news story. Uh, and, and that's where you see the, the disconnect between the corporate media, the, the electronic media, the mass media, all however you want to describe it, and reality. Um, the protests in France will not be covered in any serious way. Uh, the Hong Kong protests, which essentially were all paid U.S. operatives, um, were covered, you know, front page, lavished with op-eds that uh, uh, painted them in, in these heroic um, 
uh, portraits of of defiance and so forth. Uh, you see the manufacture of you know anti-Maduro protests that are just mythical. Um, look at the coverage of Haiti. Uh, you know, has nothing to do with the real story of how Haiti is plundered by the Clintons and run by the U.S. government essentially for for eighty years now. I mean, these things. Um, we've entered we've entered an age in which uh, the the mainstream media simply invents a world that has no relationship to the one we actually live in. I mean, it simply doesn't anymore. And, and this is true with the COVID story. I mean, um, you hear people talk about COVID and well, you, you know, um, the vaccinations have, have lowered um, the infection rate and if everybody would just do it. And then you point out the contradictions in that. Well, no, the most vaccinated countries in the world are, are suddenly have the highest um, infection rates, whatever that might actually mean. Because, you know, as my, my personal narrative of traveling to Sweden, um, which very quickly was I travel, I drove there. And then when I was coming back, they didn't let me enter Norway. I had to go take a test 150 kilometers away that the army administered with all kinds of interrogation. Um, and if I had tested positive from a test with a, like a 30% false positive rate, I'd have had to go into quarantine at my own expense at some hotel. Um, one does wonder what, um, a refusal to do those things would mean exactly. I'm told a fine, but then what happens if you don't pay that fine? Um, and I don't know. Um, I suppose the government just puts a lien on your bank account or something, but I'm not sure. Anyway, the point being that, that to enter Sweden, the information was extraordinarily unclear, was contradictory. Um, it was misinformation and that's intentional. I don't know whose intention exactly it is, but um, the the info changes from commune to commune, from one part of the country to the next, um, and it changes almost daily. Um, yeah, Corey. Just um, wanted to ask you, at, and and everyone else, obviously, at some point during this podcast, I'd like to go through um, a thread that I did this week on what's happening on in Ontario, just because I think it demonstrates how the insanity behind this. Yeah, and yeah. So at, at some point during Okay, stuff. no, let's do that. Johan, though, you had a thought? I just wanted to mention that the protests in France are about forced vaccination for healthcare workers. They're, this fall, apparently, they're, they're going to have to be vaccinated or lose their jobs or something. Right. And, and, the, and, the, and the passport idea, the passport idea is surprisingly, un, to me, surprising, um, surprisingly unpopular in general, it seems. Um, it, it simply um, feels too much like 1939, you know, um, and, and I, I, there's enough of a collective memory, it seems, that the idea of show me your papers um does not sit well with people but Corey, yeah talk to us about ontario yeah I know a vaccines bit, but, yeah. that that vac this, this vaccination program is complete coercion it's hard to believe but 
Um, I mean, that's how it happens, right? Without slowly, without anyone really noticing. And then it's all in place. Some people wonder what the fuck happened. Anyway, sorry to swear. I always swear. So I wanted to talk about this. So Ontario, Canada, um, media, the world's longest lockdown will come to an end next week. So that's um, step three, which is supposed to happen tomorrow. Um, so basically everyone's like celebrating it's, you know, it's all over, but actually no, it's not over. So the new chief medical officer of health in Ontario, he has made it clear if you, if you find it in media that an endemic state will emerge in the fall and that Ontario is, um, quote unquote, doing all the due diligence to prepare. So basically we're getting ready for a fourth wave. And again, you can find that media references to the coming fourth wave. Um, yeah, there's no doubt we're having a fourth wave. So that's already decided. Now, if you look at, if you explore the numbers behind um, our, you know, the world's longest lockdown, quote unquote, in Ontario, Canada, you can go to the government of Ontario website, which was, which when I took these numbers, it was updated 11th. So just a couple of days ago. So Active cases in Ontario as of July 11th for the ages 20 and under is zero. And from January 2020, deaths under 20 from COVID with with COVID-19 have been three. Okay, so we've got an estimated population of Ontario, almost 15 million people. So under 20 um, deaths from COVID, sorry, with COVID under three. So you have to wonder why why people under 20 need a vaccine okay because that's around the corner and that's already being pushed um as most people know so um yeah active cases currently under 20 zero and 20 to 29 active cases zero okay um 30 to 39 active cases one again we're talking about a population of 15 million people um deaths in that age bracket with covid 44 um, for ages 40 to 49, active cases zero. Deaths with COVID from January 2020, 103. Um, and, you know, then I'm just referencing that while we have this very, very low number of deaths in these age brackets, at the same time, during these brutal lockdowns, we, they've fueled um, an existing and growing opioid crisis in Ontario, Canada, and North America. And the largest, the absolute largest increases in deaths among the, the, this crisis, it occurred in um, people ages 25 to 44. And then if you look at what I just said, those deaths in those age brackets, they're with COVID, not from COVID, they're very, very minimal. Um, ages 50 to 59 in Ontario, after cases four deaths with COVID, 382. Ages 60, 69, active cases five. And as we know, cases are meaningless. They mean nothing. I mean, I could have, I could be tested positive right now with COVID and just be sitting here doing this podcast and have no symptoms. And so right. um, deaths well, with COVID, sorry, go ahead. No, no, please continue. Okay, no. so deaths with COVID, 924, um, 79 active cases, four and a population of 15 million people. Um, Deaths with COVID, 1744, 80 to 89, active cases two, deaths with COVID, 3008, and 90 years above, active cases zero. Um, deaths with COVID, 2382, again, going back to January 15, 2020. And here we can remember that the over 80% of all deaths 
in actually Canada, not just Ontario, were in long-term um, care facilities. Okay, so now if we go to Toronto, which is the capital city of Ontario, on the most populous city in Canada and fourth largest in North America, with a population of just under 7 million, the active cases are one, one active case. <laughs> <No. laughs> Ottawa, Ottawa, population 1.4 million, active cases zero, right? That's the capital city of Canada. Um, and then if you look at what's changing with the um, step three, masks and face coverings will remain in place in indoor public settings throughout step three, as will physical distancing requirements. Um, we'll be encouraging people wear masks for the coming months in an effort to reduce the transmission of the virus, which, as I've said, is pretty much non-existent. Um, so, July 12, 2021, there is no doubt we will face a fourth wave in the fall, and that's the new um, chief medical officer, or actually that could be, that's his, his name is Furness, infection control epidemiologist in Toronto. And then here's, here's where it gets really good. This is where we create the other. Um, Furness believes fourth wave will be almost entirely <clears throat> experienced by unvaccinated people and will consist of sporadic intense outbreaks. Um, so this is where we get into like the 21st century woke witch hunts, right? Mm -hmm. um, and here's another um, quote of the paper. We've all but ended pandemic among the vaccinated, but unvaccinated face the fourth wave. And that's from Middlesex, London, Ontario, where there's zero active cases. Now, almost all these cases, another quote, almost all these cases are among people not vaccinated, which means for the vaccinated, this vaccine campaign has essentially ended the pandemic. And so there, if you have um, no, no active cases under 23 deaths since the beginning with COVID, um, and they're saying, that the vaccinated um, people have ended the pandemic. Why do we need to experiment on children? Right? That's the question there. Um, wow. So anyway, the interesting thing here too, there's two groups lagging behind people 30 to 34 years old and healthcare workers. So that's super interesting. The fact that healthcare workers aren't, um, you know, are lagging and that's in the quote unquote vaccine uptake. And then he goes on, his name is Dr. Mackey of the Middlesex Health Unit. He wants to dispel a theory that vaccines reduce fertility. The claim is literally science fiction. And then as we spoke about earlier, the paper that um, both you and Johan were referencing about the fertility and just, um, I have links to, the, to a UK document specifying on fertility is unknown um and anyway so that's just more bullshit um anyway <laughs> so so here this is interesting because i mean again the government you know the these psychophants that serve the government and capital they do not care about our health okay like you can see that with the accelerating opioid crisis that gets zero attention okay nothing no one cares so rather, and during this whole pandemic, which worsened the opioid crisis, services were axed, right? And then deaths have been skyrocketing. No one gets, no one cares. Um, so anyway, there's all that. And then if you look at that, um, you've got Johnson and Johnson Pfizer this year settling millions, 
pay millions of dollars against um, their involvement in deaths of at least half a million people, which is probably really a, a you know very low number opioid deaths. So you've got, you've got governments now pushing an experimental vaccine from Johnson and Johnson, Pfizer, um, etc., from corporations that are paying out for their um, participation and knowingly killing hundreds of thousands of people, you know, through their opioid manufacturing and sales. So that's, you know, crazy. And you've got um, McKinsey, right? They've just settled in February for nearly 600 million for their role in pushing opioids, knowing it would kill people. And who's yeah. his McKinsey? McKinsey oversees the pandemic structure, the pandemic command structure in Ontario. They are <laughs> a partner to the World Economic Forum, and they are a founding partner of the Center for the Fourth Industrial Revolution for the World Economic with the World Economic Forum. So you've got McKinsey, who's at the helm of the transition to new normal, to the fourth industrial revolution architecture of automation, biotech, and everything else, um, contracted by Ontario with a $1.6 million contract. So that's who's at the helm. And I think that's, um, you know, I think that's all super interesting. And if you go to McKinsey, you will think, you'll see, like, they're the you'll just see that COVID-19 serves as a catalyst for implementation of the fourth industrial revolution global architecture. And that's right. what it's right. So there I'm done. With that. <clears throat> well, no, there's no question. And I just, a couple of things. I mean, there, you just covered a lot of, a lot of topics. One thing um, that I have noticed, and this is just kind of a sidebar observation. One of the things that has been most effective in terms of the propaganda um, to scare people um, comes in the form of these anecdotal stories. I'm not sure why this is, but so many people I have talked to where I will say, but you know, um, never in history have, have we quarantined healthy people. Um, they're now basing policy on um, predictions. It's like Philip K. Dick future crime. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's absolutely um, unprecedented this level of irrationality and and then the the almost invariable response will be but i read that you know uh, 60 girls died in nova scotia from covid the other day and it was, and you go well wait wait where's the link to that i didn't hear anything and of course it's it's not true you can't find this story but but there's there's almost like a black market, a psychic black market in these lurid anecdotes mm. um, that that, you know, are just circulated endlessly. And I don't know if they serve as um, a, a kind of salve for people who feel secretly sort of guilty and and that they know they are they are. Um, you know, spineless and terrified or, or what, but, um, and then, yeah, hero, you can't want to call on you one, but, the, but the other thing is this, this, this predictive facet that suddenly government policy, things like lockdowns, restrictions on, on your movement across borders, all these basic rights in alien, inalienable rights that, that have been enshrined in UN declarations and the Nuremberg Code and on and on and on. 
these things are being suspended in the name of a prediction based on a computer model, stuff like, well, in, invariably, we're going to have a fourth wave. Why? Why invariably? Never in history have there been fourth waves of viruses. No. So where the fuck does this come from? Why think, are you accepting it so uncritically? Anyway, Harold, you. Well, uh, I just wanted to point out that the uh, what Corey just described uh, really demonstrate what uh, Johan uh, brought up at the beginning: the uh, the way the corporate power destabilizes uh, while reframing, uh, imposing the uh, framework of uh, itself and reorganize uh, the whole thing. The ideas, concepts, beliefs, and all those things are uh, set in place to drive the corporate power. It's, it's, it's really amazing. And in the process, um, yeah, uh, um, the authority would merge with the uh, idea of uh, God. Basically, it, it's uh, it, it's uh, it's very very sinister. And uh, I, I think uh, Johan uh, 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 summarized the whole thing really really well. I think. Um, Varun, did you say something? And I cut you off there. Yeah, no, I was just saying that I think the predictive uh, aspect of this is eventually going to turn into the narrative of predicting or predicting mm. the climate worse, climate change worsening, absolutely, and thereby putting into putting into place measures that lock people into their houses to prevent that. And this kind of um, paranoid thinking, which also, I mean, is very interesting because it's it's very similar to trend making, right? Like it's mm excess in consumer culture in modern industrial civilization is always about excess and that's what's very similar with this movement as well it's everything is an excess and so because people are used to excess and understanding that mechanism i think it's a subconscious mechanism that of course is that bad of course it's that big of course because everything is now always continuously in excess war is in excess consumption is in everything is in excess so and then yeah Basically, that's. I think the predictive mechanism is for that reason that that they're creating that specific narrative, and they're going to start. I think they've already started merging the both, both the things. I think Greta also made a recent statement. I think a couple of weeks ago, um, which was conflating the two things very conveniently. Right. In right. So yeah. Yeah. Well, you notice the language is changing. I mean, I have noticed this shift in um, in in the language of the the sort of lockdown, stroke COVID, stroke climate change. They're merging, and and there is there is the normalizing of these terms. Um, I saw the use of the word summons the other day that people were were given summons to be vaccinated voluntarily, of course, but you know but they were given a summons um so it is it is the the language of of um of orwell really you know um cory yeah um adding on to that to predictive messaging or predictions um the january january 28 2019 at world economic forum i found it right on the twitter twitter thread for imperial h imperial nhs quote 
scientists from Imperial College presented a session at Davos on developing a vaccine revolution. And that's, yeah, again, January 28, 2019. <laughs> I mean, it's just absolutely so blatant. And yeah. then, of course, Imperial College is the one, as you know, came out with the initial um, paper that was crazy and started the whole thing. People also keep forgetting this was an it began, it was about, you know, again, two weeks, it was about not overwhelming hospitals. It was never about until we get a vaccine, until everyone's vaccinated, until we get vaccine passports. It was never about any of that, right? No. And then no. and then what happened? We went, we've gone, we're going to telehealth. No one even notices that. You know, during a pandemic, hundreds of thousands of people um furloughed, you know, another na nice name for fired and laid off, you know, the get getting rid of, right? So yeah. again, yeah. um fourth industrial revolution architecture. Yeah, no, uh, Johan. Uh, yeah, just to connect to Corey, what you said, uh, I, I see now that uh, Australia is entering, I think it's like the fourth lockdown with, with 200 cases. And next to the article on this on the BBC website, there's one of these horror anecdotes you mentioned, John, where, where in Namibia, there this, this famous footballer has apparently lost 15 relatives to covid and as everybody knows, Namibia is one of the, the poorest countries on earth, and they've been in full lockdown since March 2020. Tuberculosis is one of the most common deaths and the causes of death and so on. So is it really COVID they're dying from here? Uh, I'm, I'm not entirely convinced. <laughs> well, um, you know, the other story this week that is worth mentioning um, and, and Corey, you, I got it from you was the, um, uh, the immunity deficit being suffered by yeah. children from um, from being locked down, the excessive uh, hand washing, um, you know, with with disinfectant, mask wearing, isolation, um, and staying indoors, uh, that they are now they have built up no immunity to the even the basic cold. Um, let alone flu and other things, and and but just about anything, their immune systems are are already um, by late um, preteen uh, period, their their immune systems are already compromised to some degree, and 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 many are dying in New Zealand. They are dying. This is um, something I know we touched on and predicted like eight yeah. months ago. So. Um, if anybody wants to, to comment on that, but, but, you know, the, it is clear that, I mean, what Varun said is absolutely true. And Corey has said it and predicted it. And I think Johan and Hiroyuki both did too in pieces that um, COVID has paved the way for uh, this revanchist uh, climate discourse to be set on the front burner again. And, mm -hmm. Um, and, and the, the narrative has been, the propaganda has been seeded with these, these, <clears throat> these, these, it's funny, the overpopulation idea, it's, it's really funny that, that it still has uses. It still has traction in certain contexts that, that people themselves are to blame for, for over consuming. And yet, we know there is um, a, a population collapse 
essentially globally. There are not enough people being born to sustain um, certain industries in, in certain countries, Italy, for example. Um, they have to bring in immigrants soon to, to learn certain things to take care of, of um, um, a dying population and just to take care of the country. But, but, but this is never uh, or rarely a front page story. The, the fact that fertility is uh, in sharp decline, um, that, that um, reproductive rates have bottomed out and so forth. It's simply not, um, it's not given. But somehow the overpopulation story is, is going to be echoed in much of this climate stroke COVID propaganda. And I think Varun's right. I mean, people absolutely are going to be locked up and, uh, you know, my experience just driving across the border, a mere 150 kilometers from where I live, um, that that entailed interrogation by the army and, and, um, and two tests and so forth, um, suggests to me that, that we're never going to be allowed to travel again freely, no matter how many stories about, you know, 2021, I'm okay, no, not 20, 2022. You can go to Europe again. You can travel to, you know, the Gran Canaria. You can go. It's not going to happen unless you're, you know, extremely wealthy, I think. Um, Johan? Just to connect with what you and Varun said in relation to my, my introduction, because the, the, this push towards medicalization, I think Foucault would argue that uh, kind of the biosecurity state then constructs and recreates its legitimacy and power using death, which it has and meticulously appropriated and sanitized, which then enables it to project this libidinous desire into its uh, its privileged, uh, selected and circumscribed forms of life. Uh, and, and in relation to the issue of climate change, uh, I think it was in, in, um, in an early text, Freud argued that the elimination of value and meaning from the world creates a kind of need for the apocalypse both because you, you activate and prioritize this death drive you talked about, but also as an implicitly attractive way to recover and refocus this libidinous energy towards the desacralized world. And this I think is, is a good way to make sense of the power and attraction of both the COVID pseudo pandemic and the, the climate apocalypse narrative, because it, it creates value and meaning in our lives in a tangible way. You know who's worth <clears throat> worth reading again is Wilhelm Reich, and I know you know people always want to dismiss Reich and so forth. But Mass Psychology of Fascism is probably um, probably worth a reread. Uh, would would be my suggestion. Um, you know because Reich understood the 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 mechanics of um, of repression and um, and sublimation and 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 how that worked under fascism and how it trended toward fascism. Because we're seeing this, this extraordinarily um, powerful othering mechanism now in overdrive. And, and that's one, one sort of branch of the propaganda machine. And the other one um, is, is the Greta as one of our, you know, Greta is in, in now as she's 18, she's becoming like, um, you know, Helga, the Nazi she-witch or something. I mean, she's taking on these really cartoon dimensions as, um, as, as, you know, this, this, 
um, dominatrix from the climate sector. I don't know. It it's terrifying and laughable at the same time. Um, but 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 people have been um, primed for this for some time. I always hasten to point out, and I know others have said this too, that this this didn't start with the discovery of of COVID at the Wuhan lab or wherever the hell they discovered. You know, this began decades ago with with mass marketing and um, and the the pulling the plug on public education in in the West and the 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 loss of jobs, the destruction of unions. Um, and and then the internet um, interceded and and we had uh, a mass encouragement for people to consume online, to live online, to shop online. And uh, there were no jobs anyway. So, you know, why not or something? Uh, but they all, you know, they all were two steps forward, one step back, and it was never as seamless and, and simple as I'm making it sound. But I think that, that we are at this, this, this point in this trajectory at, at which several things are coming together that, that have been separate uh, tributaries of, of influencing and they are, they are coming together uh, in this, in this climate COVID story that uh, is, you know, is going to give justification to governments. That's going to be the cover story to lock people up, to restrict rights further, to, to create a, a two tiered class system of vaccinated people and unclean people. And, uh, uh, the unclean will also carry with them the stigma of, of, of spiritual impoverishment and, and immorality and all kinds of things. They're not just unclean, they're morally deficient somehow. Um, all of that is, is, is coming together in a, in a sort of hideous uh, moment right now. Corey, yeah. yeah. And it's also the cover for... Um for everything else that's being ushered in right now is everyone's hypnotized by COVID, right? So it's also the cover for massive carbon markets, you know, to, to, to be um, rolled out, um, carbon capture storage being rolled out, trillions of dollars, which will be looted from pension funds. You know, they're talking anywhere between, depending on where you look, 50 trillion needed, 100 trillion needed, where will that come from? Pensions, right? Which are Oh, that's a, that's a big problem with the population as well. Nuclear, right? Bill Gates, Richard Branson, um, Mark Zuckerberg, all of them, they're all um, behind um, nuclear, right? That's not spoke about. Um, biomass, all of, our, all of our remaining trees, right? That's not spoke about. So all the solutions, quote unquote solutions, market driven, and people are are don't are not even noticing what's happening. The financialization of nature right around the corner. I mean, this is this is a complete, huge, massive corporate grab, right? No one's even. Well, it, it, you know, it's it. I would like to know, and and Corey, I'm ask kind of asking you this, but but because it it's it's not just corporate. What we're seeing is a kind of vanguard of unelected gajillionaire um, entrepreneurs that that because of this unprecedented. Uh, concentration, consolidation of, 
of wealth. I mean, we're seeing in people like Bezos and Zuckerberg and Branson and Gates and Walton and on and on and on. We're seeing unprecedented amounts of money. I mean, Bezos owns so much money, he doesn't know how much money he owns. They can't count it. I mean, he makes billions every day. Um, it, it's, it has rendered the whole notion of free markets, which was always a myth anyway, but it's rendered it as, as moot now. It's not even hegemony. It's something, it's something new that is still carrying uh, the trappings of, of this kind of old style monopolization of things. And yes, it's true. Like, you know, during the lockdown um, retail was, was essentially monopolized and, and all mom and pop stores and, and single family businesses all got bought up. And, and that was another step. And there's several things going on at once in separate areas. It's not a seamless, there isn't a little cabal of, and, you know, alien overlords in a, in a, in a, you know, top floor penthouse in a hotel in Zurich or something that are, that are, you know, marking out um, our futures. It's, it's partly a system that is, is um, on, on autopilot. It's partly these, this vanguard of unelected billionaires that have simply bought extraordinary um, influence. Gates owns what all the farmland and stuff. And I think these people imagine everybody in warehouses eating their synthetic meat made from, um, you know, the refuse in the sewers of Manila um, and drinking, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, kefir made from cow shit and, and human waste. And, you know, that's the future these guys imagine. And then Gates will go around trying to dim the sun um, uh, in his spare time. But it really is madness. It is collective madness that more, I mean, a lot of people are skeptical. A lot of people are not buying it, but they're not their skepticism isn't articulated quite right, even to themselves yet, I think. And that's, and that's a problem. Yeah, Corey. You know, the ruling class to protect their own class interests. They have us now, um, you know, instead of fighting them, um, you know, we're fighting each other, right? Now the enemy is your neighbor without the mask, you know, and so on and so on. So it's, you know, what, Hiroyuki writes about and talks about often it's all these mechanisms right that keep us within this with this within this cage um so yeah it is really um monstrous and insane so we have this huge massive contraction of capital and you know maybe you know I'd like to think not too long ago the citizens would have went into these places and dragged these people out right and um, dismembered them on the street or hung them up by the lampposts but now um, they basically do what they want and you know it gets a few a little bit of attention and nothing happens right, right. so yeah, yeah it's incredible and that's you know goes to again to compliance and conformity and obedience and all the other stuff that we touch upon in this podcast yeah I, it's yeah, go ahead, Vroom, please. Can I just add uh, a couple of points here? I think uh, it's, for me, it has also, like, Jeff Bezos is symptomatic of a culture of convenience that everybody got used to. He's a middleman. He has nothing. He takes something from somewhere and gives it to somebody else, right? Like, that's basically it. The world has made him the richest man. 
on the planet for that, right? And um, <laughs> in terms of, and that I think that has it has taken decades to breed that kind of culture into society, which has been the hyper reality that Bobia very often has talked about. But this idea of hyper consumption and hyper identities, which are now functioning and the superimposition has come from the establishment of how the identity has to function in this kind of society and the infiltration in that sense in the in the kind of the in the cognitive in the collective cognitive map is still of primal survival and the division has been manufactured through individualized use of the internet in the sense like you're disconnected from people, right? Like it's always right. just you the screen. Right. It's never anything right. else. So you're breaking people apart and you're also kind of getting them used to this kind of a culture of convenience. And then this is the result, I think, of what we're seeing. Right <clears throat> no, I think that's I think that's very perceptive and and the 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 creating of a culture, the conditioning of a populace to to this strangely um um, bloodless, uh, neurasthenic, uh, uh, onanistic culture that is that is screen habituation, and of course has also made people stupid, um, you know, and 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 unhappy. I mean, one in four Americans or whatever it is are 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 on antidepressants, and we see uh you know these severe spikes in attention deficit disorder and um, you know acute anxiety we see children suffering um spikes in autism and all kinds of behavioral problems and and learning difficulties and and uh, it, it it's been a it's been decades and decades in the making and and uh, it, it, people are are right on the threshold of of not um, of not coping, and meanwhile, um, institutional. I, because I look at culture and arts, the, the 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 pantomime of institutional cultural production now is just grotesque. You look at. I was, saw an appointment earlier today from theater institution I know, and I just shook my head. I thought, you know, of course, um, because because it. It is only the most obedient, bland, you know, um, uninteresting kind of, of uh, empty suits that find their way into positions of decision making because, because the search for meaning that was mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, that search for meaning has been suspended. It's, it's suspect even if one were um, to want to talk about it. But uh, Hiroyuki, yeah. Well, I, I was just uh, thinking how everything um, uh, Marge in, in the uh, in this whole mess and uh, like like you were saying about the accumulation of the power and wealth is uh, enormous and uh, uh, I guess what's going on in a way is that um, we need the mindsets that justify. Um, what is going on. So in order to do that, the corporate power needs to be on top. They are the solution, they, the vaccines 
and uh, the carbon schemes are going to be create solutions. And in the process, they are the God. They are at the top. And that justifies the feudal hierarchy. And this is really, really um, scary way yeah. of domestication. I don't want to interrupt you, but 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 you're touching on something that I know Varun, a couple of podcasts back, touched upon this kind of deification of of the, the abstraction, and I know Johan has talked about it. Um, that that uh, uh, you know the the I know a guy. Let me give you. I'll illustrate this with an example. I know a guy in Norway. Uh, he's a white collar. Um, he's very educated, educated bourgeoisie, very sharp guy. Um, he's in the arts and um, he's a pro vaccination. He's been vaccinated. His family's been vaccinated. Um, he believes it's the good, the, the strict rules of the Norwegian government are to be applauded and so forth. And then in the course of our conversation, um, he mentioned that, oh, and, you know, I had COVID. I said, really, you had COVID? Yeah, yeah. At the beginning, it was nasty. It was like a really nasty flu. <laughs> I, I said no shit huh and but you're okay right yeah 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 um so that's you know that level of contradiction or lack of self-awareness in a sense i mean he's talking about he got bad flu but he's but he's supporting government decisions of mass lockdown destruction of of schooling for children the cause of anxiety and depression and all sorts of things in 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 children very especially the very young all of this whole spectacle um which will now be linked to you know climate and all kinds of other things um all because of a disease with a 99.97 percent chance of survival that he himself had recovered from with no problem but but that doesn't occur to him. That contradiction doesn't occur to him. Johan. Yeah, yeah. But uh, regarding this deification you mentioned, that's basically what biopower does. It deifies and eroticizes worldly power and bare physical existence using the specter of death. And I think this connects to something I and Varun spoke about uh, a few weeks ago. Because if we take this assumption that desacralization and the injection of meaning is a kind of precondition for this biopower regime, I would personally argue that religion and real art are both substantial threats to this regime, if for no other reason, like the, that religion successfully right. thanks death and an art can affirm the sublime. So with regard to, to religion, for instance, you either need to abolish it or secularize it into something that prioritizes the world and is aligned with the value precepts of capitalism and biopower. And incidentally, according to a lot of vocal critics, exactly this is what's happening within the Catholic Church right now. Huh. Interesting. <clears throat> yeah, Varun, did you? Were you going to? Yeah, um, yeah. Johan and I were talking about this um, idea of um, the penetrative nature of <laughs> the shot and the forced uh, conversion <laughs> of people. And um, but I, I was. Uh, it led me to think about a lot of mythology that exists, which is essentially of how the lunar goddess is imperialized by the marauding tribes in Central Asia, and then the sun god is born from that idea, essentially, which Joseph Campbell has written extensively about. And this idea also kind of um, 
ties into the Sumerian goddess of Inanna or Ishtar, where she, and this is something that, I mean, Johan was talking about in the beginning about the airports and the, the nakedness that you have to go through, where um, the, the goddess Ishtar is supposed to descend into heaven, uh, sorry, into hell. And as she goes through these different stages, she's supposed to strip herself off all her ornaments and clothing. And then her brother rescues, she's, she calls on her brother to rescue her after she has defeated her own sister in hell. But the idea here essentially is of self-reflection, of uh, reigniting the spark of life, of understanding the void from which all things come and go back to, etc., etc., which has been entirely decimated and replaced by the atomist thinking and the materialism of present-day yeah. society entirely. There yeah, is no... And, uh, yeah, sorry, go on. Yeah, no, go ahead, please, please. Yeah, there is no place where... Um, there is no place where people have either the opportunity or the time to actually figure out what life and death are. There are no conversations like this. And therefore, it is easy for appropriating both of them for life and death by the establishment, yeah. which, is what is, which is what has happened largely. They're commanding both sides of existence. Hmm. Right, right. Well, I mean, the, 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 you know, you look at classical fairy tales and mythology, um, you know, all throughout history. I always love Bly when he writes about this, mm -hmm. but um, the rebirth is always naked and um, and cleansed of impurity somehow and, and on and on. And there's always a kind of subtle or not so subtle eroticization of this because the goddess is usually, you know, um, blonde and attractive and, and um, uh, that's the image uh, that has been reproduced constantly uh, and on and on and on. I mean, this is all kind of stuff we know and, and the, the strange, but, but what we're seeing with, with the COVID and, and the vaccination as being peddled as, as a, as a kind of um, uh, roadmap or, 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 church credit or something that will that will lead you into salvation and your, your crimes are absolved or something and uh doesn't in but it doesn't entirely work as such that's the thing it's like it's like a dysfunctional mythos they are creating um and and one saw that with nazi germany of course that that the of the you know the the Reich was um, both joachite and and in and incoherent. You know, it it was strangely um, puritanical and and strangely um, hypersexualized. And and so some of that, of course, exists in in this society. I mean. The number one industry in the world is is defense. The number two is pornography. And, and and so it it simply isn't discussed in those terms. People don't talk about the the marketing of pornography, that internet and pornography. Um, for some reason, when it is approached, it's approached from a kind of um, very superficial postmodern identity perspective, and and I don't know, you know the. the, the or trafficking or the crimes of, of people that produce it and so forth and so on. It's not talked about in a, in a larger, long historical 
viewpoint and and it probably should be i think um anyway um let's sort of uh come up with a few final thoughts here geez there's so much to talk about we should do one sooner next time um cory any final thoughts well, I don't have the numbers right off the top of my head, but from the last um, long piece of work that I did on the Great Reset as like basically the destruction of, of um, what's left of the natural world, um, what you're talking about, pornography, I mean, we really, that's really well kept, right? Like out of the realm of discussion amongst peoples with the militarism, those two things are really, the media does a good job of keeping those out. And when we think about all the energy being created to get everyone online, basically it's, it reminds me of how, you know, slaughterhouses operate um, out of sight, out of mind, right? Industrial agriculture. And they're, they're so horrific. And it's ironically a huge source of where I mean, that's the problem with viruses coming right from there, industrial agriculture. But I mean, we don't talk about that. That's all hidden. And the way we're going with the energy, it's sort of like that. And I'm trying to articulate it here just off the top of my head. We won't see the pollution. People will live in the cities and we won't see um, the destruction of the natural world to to provide all this power, nuclear, um, wind turbines, solar, all of it, industrial scale. And so we, it will feel and look clean, you know, similar to how you do not see these in the industrial agriculture and slaughterhouses. They have no windows, right? Those animals are hidden away. Um, mm. The meat is clean and a package in the supermarket. So we will see, it will feel clean, right? This new normal, but it, it won't be, it's all hidden. And then just how so much of this, this is going to increase massively emissions change and warming and no one talks about it this is not a way to reduce emissions we're going to massively increase them for this new digital world and what you were just talking about a huge part of that is pornography like we're actually destroying the planet to watch porn and netflix i mean think about that <laughs> um yeah uh, the the figures for consumption of pornography online and i don't have them handy but they are staggering they are they are numbers that mostly i think nobody wants to look at because it's they're too implicated in them you know because it's essentially everyone and it's just a few more people do it habitually and compulsively but um the it that that reality sends ripples out um and and that's a topic for a for a whole other um podcast i suspect but um varun johan hiroyuki any final thoughts i think people don't want to be implicated in the guilt that goes along with upholding modern industrial civilization no. and right right that is essentially what will keep also kind of the internal mechanism is not to feel guilty about what's going on in the world so that I can keep going on with my life. Right, right. I think that's pretty succinctly um, put, actually. Um, all right. Well, uh, this was, as always, a pleasure, guys. And, and we'll do it more soon, um, I hope, uh, or do it again soon. And uh, so thank you, Corey Morningstar, Hiroyuki Yamada, Varun Mater, Johan Edebo, and Jack Littman back in L.A. 
for cleaning up whatever uh, needs cleaning up on this. Um, all right. So I'll talk to you guys all soon. Thanks, guys. Bye. Thank you. Bye, guys.